Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today, to come to this time and place, to be with family, friends, and strangers, to, to be encouraged by a song just like this, to be reminded of the love that you have for us. Is our prayer that we would extend that same love to others and give as we have received. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've been talking about messy grace, one of the points that we've been trying to drive home is this idea that grace is the one thing that the church has to offer that the the world just can't get anywhere else. There's a lot of there's a lot of places the world can go to, to be fed. There's a lot of places the world can go to be clothed. There's a lot of places that the world can go to even be uplifted. But there's really only one place they can go to find grace. It's among the people of God. Among those who have received grace and then want to to give it away. Those who have been covered by grace, who want to go and in turn cover others with the same grace. And it should excite each and every one of us, all of those who have been dipped into grace, that we have the opportunity to share that with others. It should be something that motivates us, something that truly inspires us. Because when grace is stressed in the church, people should end up getting blessed by the church. And it should be something that is just known that those who are God's people are grace people. And those who are God's people are eager to go and to share the grace of God. In fact, your life and mine should stand out in stark contrast to those who are around us for one single reason. And it's not the way we talk, it's not where we eat, it's not what we drink, it's not what we watch, but it's the grace that we give. People should see something different in the way that we handle, the way that we handle when, when our coworker when our coworker goes against us and sabotages the project, the way we respond should show that we have been given grace. When it's our own family, when it's someone who is flesh and blood, who turns their back on us, who hurts us in ways that we don't even like to talk about, we don't even like to think about, that there is a difference that is seen among us because we have been given grace, we then extend that grace. When grace is stressed in the church, people should be blessed by the church. I love reading through Scripture because I, I really do think that I really do think that Scripture paints a picture, paints a picture as to what what God wants us to understand about Him, but also what God wants us to understand about ourselves. And so many times in Scripture, what you see are are stories, how that there is a, a story that allows us to picture a certain principle that God is trying to get across. And oftentimes, Jesus himself told stories, and it's going to be one of those stories that I want us to be able to look at this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 18. If you'd like to open your Bibles there, I encourage you to do so. Matthew chapter 18. 
And as we are listening to Jesus tell the story, I want you to think about your own. I want you to think about the story that was on your mind during our communion time. As we talked earlier about the fact that we needed to be able to accept God's forgiveness and the idea that bread and cup was a forgiving experience and how that there are some of us who are here that just have a hard time thinking that God can forgive me. And there are some of us who are here who have a hard time just forgiving ourselves. So I want you to think of, I want you to think of your story as we listen to Jesus. Jesus' story is precipitated by a question from Peter. Peter goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times, he says. He throws out a number and let's see what Jesus thinks about it. From Peter's perspective, he's going a little bit above and beyond. The rabbis of his day said that it was three strikes and you're out. Three strikes and that was it. If someone offended you for the fourth time, you are not obligated to forgive that person. Can't you just see the religious of the day walking around with their little notebook, keeping their tab? Aren't you glad that, aren't you glad your parents don't have, hmm, or maybe they do. Aren't you glad your spouse doesn't keep a notebook of right and wrongs? Or maybe they do. Well, at least when you go to work, your boss doesn't have a three strike in your out rule, right? No, it's one strike and you're gone. I mean, you know how it is at work. Peter thinks, man, I am being so generous seven times. And I wonder what Peter's story was. You see, I feel confident that there is a story behind Peter's question. Because of the number, I think that there was probably someone behind the question, someone who would hurt Peter, someone who maybe he had already gone above and beyond in his forgiveness, not just once, but twice, maybe many times. And Peter just wonders, and I'm guessing he's not the only one. I mean, let's just be honest. When is enough enough, right? I mean, when's enough enough? When are we off the hook? When does grace run out? When do I have to stop giving? Maybe you've got someone in your life. Maybe it's someone that you're even here today with. And you just have this question. How much grace do I really have to give? You see, giving grace goes against our nature. When we give grace to someone, we give them something that they don't deserve. And there's something in each one of us that just wants others to, to get what they deserve, right? I mean, that's why some of you had kids. Yeah. So that they could get what they deserve. At least that's what you thought because of the upbringing that you had. You thought, yeah, you know what? I'm going to have my own children so that they can get what's coming to them. How much is enough? Peter wants to know. And so look at the response of Jesus. He says, not seven times, but how about 70 times seven? You see, Jesus is making a point, and I would love for you to write this down on the front of your GPH so that you can see it this week. Giving grace 
is just so daily. It's not something where you keep a record and you say, you know what, I've given grace enough now, it's over. It's just something that happens day in and day out where we're constantly asked to give something out of a grace account. It seems like people are just always making withdrawals. And I can tell you stories about people that I know. A young man now in his 40s, who when he was seven years old, his parents set him down on the edge of the bed and said, mom and dad aren't going to be married anymore. And pretty much every day since then, he's been trying to give grace. I could tell you about a friend of mine who when she was looking forward to the birth of her second child, discovered that her husband had been having an affair. And now it's just daily grace that's pulled out of that grace account. Daily withdrawals. And the list just goes on and on. So what's your story? The concept of giving grace is well and good unless we're talking about your story. If we're talking about your neighbors, then it's a great subject. If we're talking about mine, you're very interested to hear. But if we're talking about your story, when we're talking about the father who berated you or the relative who abused you, I mean, grace is a fine idea, but it gets, it gets messy when we start having to think about the spouse who cheated us or the boss who treated us unjustly. Not only does it get messy, it just gets ugly. We've all got our stories. In fact, Proverbs chapter 14 says that every heart knows its own bitterness. And maybe it's not something that's that significant. Maybe it's not some big deal that you need to forgive. Maybe it's just the smaller withdrawals of everyday life that tend to deplete your account. Maybe it's just those daily withdrawals that your spouse keeps having to give. I know it happened to me just last night. Tanya had gotten up yesterday morning and taken Emily to uh, one of the events that she was going to be involved in. And I was at home with Micah and she calls and says, hey, I left the clothes in the washing machine. Would you mind taking them out so they don't just sit there and sour? And I said, oh, I don't mind. That'll be fine. And then all of a sudden I went squirrel and I thought my phone battery is about to die and I'm looking for my cord and I can't find it. And so I said, have you seen the end to my, to my cord? And she says, well, yeah, Emily's got it. And okay, well, where is it? Well, Emily's with me and the, and the end for the cord is with me. And so now I'm thinking, okay, so Emily's got the cord. So I'm going to need to look for another one and my phone is going to die. And all right. And I hang up the phone and I forget about the clothes. I forgot about the clothes. My wife didn't forget about the clothes. She came home and made her way to the washing machine to, to put another load in, as oftentimes happens, only to raise the lid and be met by not the side of the clothes, but the smell of the clothes. And then I hear her say, did you forget to take the clothes out of the washing? Now, don't, husbands, don't you love it when your wife asks a question like this? 
when they ask a question that you, you know that they know the answer to already. As they are standing over the washing machine looking at the clothes, they ask. And I think they do this just to try to trip us up. Just to see just how honest, you know, we can, we can be. And so she asked and said, did, did you hang up the clothes? And of course I said, sure. No, I didn't say that. I, I was like, oh, I forgot all, you know, I forgot all about it. And, you know, uh, here, let me wash them again for you. Let me get out the washboard. And, you know, I, will, I mean, I, I started trying to come up with all these things to do besides just burn the clothes. It's just so daily, right? And, and she forgave me. I had to sleep upstairs, but she forgave me. It was, uh, it was great. Um, guys, that's just the hard thing about grace. Whether it's leaving the clothes in the washing machine or lying about where you've been, grace giving is just so daily. And so Jesus tells a story. He tells a story to help us be better grace givers. In verse 23, he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. It's the CEO who's going to even up the books. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, when Jesus says this, the crowd would have gasped because this was a crazy amount of money. And the man who owed him this, it would be like a minimum wage worker in our time having to go pay off a multi-million dollar bill. And since he was not able to pay it back, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, this wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. In fact, in Athens, before there was an establishment of rights for private citizens, this was the exact practice. You would put the person who owed you into prison, sell them into some type of servitude, not just them, but their whole family. If there is someone who owed a debt against you, you would get that debt relieved by selling them and getting whatever you could for all that they had and all that they were. Now, Jesus, as he's telling this story, it reflects, I believe, our standing with God. When we're called into account and we realize that we owe a tremendous debt, and the only way that things can be made right is to pay the debt back. But there's no way. There's no way that it can happen because you and I, we owe more than can possibly be paid back. And it's all there in black, black and white. And the Bible talks about that there's coming a day when all the accounts are going to be settled. And as we stand before the king, as we stand before the judge, all of our life will be laid bare and we will give an account. And on that day, we will discover that God knows it all. Maybe your teacher didn't know about the, the paper that you plagiarized in college, but God knows. Maybe your husband doesn't know about the flirtation at the gym, but God knows. And you've deleted your history off your computer, but God knows the websites that you visited. And maybe everyone thinks that you're clean and sober, but God knows where you've been hiding it. 
And maybe you keep the windows shut so tight the neighbors can't hear it when you lose your cool and you just begin to yell and scream at your kids. But God hears everything in heaven and he knows it all. And there's coming a terrifying moment when we stand before the king and the bill comes due. And it's more than we can repay. And like the servant, perhaps we will desire to fall on our knees and say, be patient. And I'll pay it all back. Be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And yet it's ridiculous because it's a promise that cannot be kept. And yet in so many ways, this is our approach to God. We make these promises and we say, God, I'm going to make it right. And I'm going to make up for the ways that I have failed. And we adopt this debtor's mentality. That we go to God, maybe it's weekly, maybe it's daily, monthly, whatever it might be. And we say, God, if you'll just give me one more chance, I will make up all the ways that I have failed. And all the righteousness and all the good deeds and all the worship services cannot even cover the interest that we owe. I mean, you and I are throwing pennies at a multi-million dollar debt. And we keep living like some way we're just going to be able eventually to come to this point where we pay it off. And yet we just keep being more and more frustrated because more and more we come in here and share communion with one another. And we come and we pick up that cup and we know how we lived last week. I want you to see what it says or what Jesus says the king says in verse 27. It says he took pity on him. King James Version said he was filled with compassion. He has an emotional response to this man, which would have been extremely rare, if not unheard of, quality of, of a great monarch in this particular culture. But he had compassion. And as Jesus tells this story, he's trying again to get across the relationship that you and I have with God. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 6 where it says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's grace. And that's what we've received. And so in this passage, the king extends grace to the servant. He begs and he says, I'll pay it all back. But he has compassion on him. And in verse 28, everything begins to change. The CEO had compassion. He lets the man leave. His debt has been forgiven. And now the one who's been given walks out and he finds someone who owes him just a few hundred bucks. And he grabs him and begins to choke him. And he says, I want you to pay back what you owe me. And then in verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Does this sound familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay you back. And so it's the same language. It's the same request. But it's just on a smaller scale. Now, if you're listening to this story for the first time, you're listening to Jesus and you're thinking, well, of course the man's going to forgive the debt because he was just in a similar situation and he had a greater debt that was just canceled. He's going to let this other go. He's going to let it roll off his back. It's not going to be a big deal. But he refused, verse 30. And instead he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And you know that to put someone into prison in this day, you had to pay for it to be done. 
you had to pay to put the one who owed you in prison until he could pay you the debt. This servant was so filled with bitterness and greed that he was willing to give up some money in order to get money. And yet it was a debt that would never come to him, even though he had already been forgiven such a huge debt. Verse 31 says that when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Because they, they were in a community of grace and they had seen what the master had done. And now they saw someone who had been relieved of a debt acting in such a terrible way. And the master calls the servant in and says, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, he turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, which everyone listening knew would never happen. And then Jesus concludes with this one simple terrifying sentence. This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother, your sister, from your heart. Guys, Jesus is just really clear here. You cannot receive grace from God and refuse to give it to others. It's not an option. It's not an option for us to come in here week after week and celebrate the grace that we have been given and then withhold it, withhold it from someone in our life who is desperately in need of it. And maybe the grudge is against a coworker, or maybe it's resentment toward a parent, maybe it's bitterness towards a sibling. It's hatred, hatred and bitterness toward an ex or anger toward an abuser. But you can't. You cannot hold on to it. You cannot receive it from God and then refuse to give it to others. And you say, well, that's not fair. And you're right. It's not fair. It's grace. It's grace. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not naive. I'm not just trying to be the preacher who's reading some story out of a book. I know that some of you have been hurt in ways that I cannot imagine, and I get that. But Jesus is making a very clear point. You will never be asked to give more grace to someone else than you have already been given by God through Jesus Christ. So I think if you're like me, You want to do better here, right? You want to be more of a grace giver. You want to get rid of the bitterness and the anger that's in your heart. So here's two or three things that can help us, I think. First, let's remember the grace that we've been given. There's a reason why each week we share in bread and cup. It's a reminder each week of the love of God. It's the reminder each week of the forgiveness of God. It's the reminder of the constant message of Scripture. And as we reflect on the grace that we've received, it makes us more gracious towards others. 
There's something about being on the end of incredible grace that causes us to be more gracious. Paul would write to Christians and say in Colossians chapter 3 that you need to forgive as you have been forgiven. The idea is that as we are covered in grace, that we will cover others in grace. That the messiness that we have received will extend that messy grace to others. Secondly, refuse to let the little things bother you. I am thankful that last night my wife was gracious about the clothes that continue to smell. She didn't let the little things bother her, but she could. She had asked a simple request, and I had been negligent. See, the second servant basically owed this guy some lunch money, and yet he had him thrown in prison. Giving grace in the small areas, in my opinion, can sometimes be, I guess, what is the most demanding because it seems like it's the everyday things. And we just get so tired of it because it seems as if our kids are needing grace every day. Our spouse needs grace every day. Our neighbor, it's just every, over and over and over again. And we're not nearly as gracious as we, as we should be in the small things. But refuse to let the little things bother you. And then thirdly, can you release the resentment that you have? It says the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's the idea that you no longer allow the past to affect your future. You don't bring it up. You release it. You cancel it. The past is gone, and he says he let him go. Aren't you glad that each time you go before God in prayer, he doesn't respond by reminding you of all the things that you have done wrong, of all the ways that you have cheated him, of all the times that you have kept silent, of all the times that you lied, of all the times that you have lived in an ungodly way. And there comes a point where you just say, you know what, I'm going to let God be in charge of this, and I'm going to let him keep the score. I'm going to let him keep the score. Guys, forgiveness does not come easy. It's painful. It's messy. But I'm going to ask you the question. Is there a phone call you need to make to someone today in order to extend to them the grace that you have already been given? Or maybe you need to call someone and ask for that grace. Maybe you need to walk across the street, walk across the auditorium even, Walk across the kitchen, the laundry room, and give grace. You see, your Heavenly Father has authored a story. It's a story of love, it's a story of betrayal, and it's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of grace. And my prayer this morning is that you will allow God's story to change your story. Because there's a chapter that you're on right now, and it's filled with hurt, and it's filled with anger, and it's filled with bitterness.
and you need to turn the page. To help you with this, I have asked this morning that our elders position themselves around this room in order to pray for you. And what they're going to do is we sing and encourage one another. They're going to stand around this room in prayer. And I'm going to ask that if, if you are in need of prayer, that you just get out from where it is that you are standing and, and you walk to the closest elder that's around. It could be someone on the side, in the back, or, or even here in the front. You don't have to go into detail. Just let them know that you need the courage to forgive or the courage to ask for forgiveness. They're going to be praying for you already, but maybe you just need, maybe you need someone to put their arm around you. Maybe you need to hear that prayer voiced. Maybe you need to feel the forgiveness of God. So I'm going to ask if this time if our elders would just go ahead and stand up where you are and, and make your way either to here the front or to the sides or, or to the back. And Derek has chosen a few songs that we're just going to sing a little medley this morning. And as we sing, I just want you to be in thought of your own story. And know that the leaders here in our congregation are praying for you. And it's not fair the way you've been hurt. And it's not fair what was said. It was not fair what was done to you. It was not fair the way you were treated. It's not fair that your life has turned out this way. It is not fair that you have had to deal with this emotion and this pain. It's not fair. But it's grace. It's grace that sets you free. Would you like to experience that grace this morning? Then I encourage you to seek out one of our elders and to pray as together we stand and sing.